Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500. The Reformer, $100 monthly, or an annual gift of $1,000. And The Patron, $200 monthly, or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the support donate page at issuesetc.org and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses or call Lynn 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Imagine growing up in a church and being told not to read the Bible. That if you read the Bible, well, you might turn out like a crazy person, like Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's time for our series on Paths to Lutheranism. Today, we'll talk about from Roman Catholicism through Eastern mysticism to the Lutheran Confession. Joining us, Dr. Donna Harrison. She's a member of Emmaus Lutheran Church in South Bend, Indiana. She's a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist and CEO of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Dr. Harrison, welcome back. Thanks a lot, Todd. I'm glad to be here. Growing up Roman Catholic, how were you taught to regard Lutherans? (laughs) Well, that's a really good question. I was actually taught that one of the many names for Satan was Luther, and During that time, I didn't know any Lutherans, and so I didn't know any better. Tell us about your early religious upbringing and experience in Catholic parochial schools. So it was really a privilege to be in Catholic parochial schools, and I greatly admired the nuns who were teaching there. They were just a great example of dedication, dedication to Christ, really, and dedication to teaching. But I also encountered quite a few lay teachers who were kind of marginally faithful, and that was really challenging and very confusing as a student when you're trying to figure out what is right and what is wrong, to have both of these examples side by side, some very faithful nuns and some very marginally faithful lay people. When I came through high school, I ended up as a pro-choice functional agnostic, and uh, that was not a place of strength to go into college. So just to expand on that a little bit, you say pro-choice functional agnostic. How would you describe your views there? Well, I was caught up into the, the whole idea that women should have control over their body and completely ignoring the fact that there's another human being inside. So that was kind of the spirit that swept through in the 70s, which tells you how old I am, <laughs> trying to avoid that little detail there. But that was kind of the spirit of the 70s, and uh, I was about 13 when Roe versus Wade was decided. So in 
parochial schools sometimes you can have a lot of influence just from the world and the world around you. Not everyone that goes to a religious school is religious. And quite a few of my classmates were there because it was a great education, but not because their family had any particular faith. And so I was I was very influenced by, you know, the idea that women have control over their body, but not really thinking through what that means to the human being in the womb. And as an agnostic, I would say I grew up not sure whether or not what was taught to me in school was true. And part of that came from from having some lay teachers who were were marginally faithful, but who I really admired. And some of that came from a lack of understanding of where the teachings of the church came from. So, for example, (laughs) in history class, I learned about the Renaissance, but I never learned about the Reformation. I didn't actually know there even was a Reformation until I got to college. So this was kind of a glaring oversight in my education, especially my religious education, because there's many things you can't understand about church teaching or even about the liturgy or about Christianity unless you understand the history of the Christian church. And the Reformation is an incredibly important part of the history of the Christian church. What can you tell us about your spiritual life in college? Well, in college, I unfortunately dabbled in a lot of New Age philosophy because it was exciting and it was new. And But I also attended weekly Mass because I'd always attended weekly Mass. So I lived this kind of dual life, sort of a double-minded man or a double-minded woman, going back and forth between Catholic reaffirmation of faith class and New Age mysticism. At that time, though, I ran into a guy named Mark, who was from a Pilgrim Holiness Wesleyan Methodist background, and his commitment to Christ really challenged me. It was strangely compelling because he was the first person in my entire life that I'd ever met who had integrity. He actually walked his talk. And that's incredibly, incredibly compelling. So he invited me to a Bible study that he and his roommate were holding. So (laughs) I was the only regular attendee at this Bible study. It was Mark the Methodist, Joe the Baptist, and Donna the Catholic. And I'm sure that they were inspired to pick the Gospel of John for this study. And it was because of that study that I bought the first Bible I ever laid hands on. It's the Jerusalem translation. It's actually a very beautiful translation. And J.R.R. Tolkien was one of the editors. But anyway, I still have it. (laughs) But I was very familiar with the liturgy, having gone to Roman Catholic Mass, and realized for the first time that the vast majority of the liturgy is actually taken from the Gospel of John. That was an astounding finding for me. And part of the reason that was the first time I'd ever looked at Scripture is because Catholics were taught not to read Scripture. They were taught, at least in my era, that if you read Scripture, it would make you crazy like Luther. And <laughs> so so we didn't. We didn't read Scripture. And I, I had not read it until that Bible study with Mark the Methodist and Joe the Baptist. And it's beautiful and it's remarkable what reading God's Word does, especially in a translation that is understandable and compelling. So God kind of brought me to the point to see that there's actually a huge and long-lasting witness to his existence and his faithfulness that's recorded in his word. And that made it very uncomfortable for me, because (laughs) you can't live a dual life when you realize 
that there's really only two self-consistent paradigms. I either was my own God. This is what New Age philosophy teaches you. I'm the only thing that matters. Everything and everyone else is just an extension of my mind. So anything I consider to be right is right, and anything that I consider to be wrong is wrong. There is no external meaning or purpose or truth. There's only what I choose to believe. Okay, that's all New Age philosophy. I'm sure it goes by a thousand different names. Probably the names are legion. But (laughs) that is self-consistent. You can't argue against that because the basic underlying premises are that I'm my own God and I'm the only thing that exists and I'm the only thing that matters. And there's no way to argue somebody out of that. But there is another self-consistent paradigm that I was introduced to with God's Word, and that is, I'm a creature. Well, <laughs> if I'm a creature, then, then God's the boss, and, and I'm not. And there is external reality, and there is truth, and there is meaning, not just what I think is true, or what my judgment is, but actually what God's judgment is. So, That also cannot be argued out of, because the basic premise is God exists, and he created me, and he created the world for a purpose. And not my purpose, his purpose. So what are you going to do? How are you going to choose? So one night, after a really long day, I was reading the uh, Catholic Reaffirmation of Faith homework, and I came to a spot in the book that said, God calls you by name. Wow. That really struck my heart, because if you're the God of your own empty universe, there's no one that calls you by name. It's a very lonely spot to be your own God. And for some reason, and I still don't know why, I realized at that moment that these two worlds, the New Age world and the Christian worldview, could not simultaneously be true. So one is true, and one is not. And as I thought about, you know, being my own God, I realized that that thought was exactly what Eve was tempted with. Did God really say, well, this is what you would be like, knowing good and evil, in fact, determining good and evil? So that surprised me. And then I thought about the possibility of being a creature. And again, I can't explain exactly what happened, but in that moment, I knew I wanted to be a creature. I wanted to be God's creature. And (laughs) I know this is not supposed to happen in Lutheranism, (laughs) But at that moment, my world actually instantly changed. And God made me realize these words of his from the scripture, that he loves me and that he'll never leave me. Again, that's very comforting to someone who's been their own God for so long. I also realized that I'd be more myself in abandoning myself to him than I would ever be as the God of my own empty universe, because I can't create anything. And I realized that his kingdom is here now. And from that moment, I never looked back. Because there's really nothing to look back to. The whole lie that we're our own God or that we create truth or that everything is judged by us, it's so empty. And you realize that when you abandon yourself to the possibility that God exists and that he loves you. In fact, you realize it's not just a possibility, it's actually true. And so in that moment, I guess I would say I realized my baptism, if I want to put it in a Lutheran term. (laughs) But that didn't make me Lutheran. So I ended up marrying Mark, and that began a very intense but important journey for both of us into what aspects of Christianity we would need to be willing to die for, and what aspects of Christianity are adiaphora, that is, things that 
can be let go of that are not core and essential to what is true and that what we are willing to die for. So we participated in many interfaith interactions in college, and my husband and I both, after college, went to medical school. In fact, <laughs> I checked out of my dorm room in my wedding dress, and then three weeks later was in medical school. It was kind of a intense time, to say the least. But we had interactions with many, many different Christians in campus ministries and in Christian Medical Dental Association. And what we found, also simultaneously attending a Roman Catholic Church and a Nazarene Church, which was the closest Mark could find to Wesleyan Methodist, what we found was that we were drawn to two things. We were drawn to a denomination where the final authority for faith and doctrine would be the Scripture, would be God's Word. Why? Because part of my drift into agnosticism was the idea that it was the historical critical idea, that Scripture contains God's Word, but that it isn't really God's Word, and we have to figure out what in Scripture is true and what in Scripture isn't. That's deadly, and that's actually deadly for anyone who has any intellectual aspirations, because what that means is you become the judge of truth, not God's Word becomes the judge of truth. You stand in judgment of God's Word. God's Word doesn't stand in judgment of you. And that sure does feed the self-consistent picture of yourself as your own God. But we needed a denomination where the final authority for faith and doctrine would be God's Word, and also that had this incredible love poem that is the liturgy. Both Mark and I were very drawn to liturgical worship. It's beautiful. It's so deep, and every year I get older, the deeper it gets. It's just quite amazing what all is said and done in the liturgy and um, how the liturgy draws Mark and I for sure, but draws all of us into, into a very intimate presence of God. Not just that, but the taking of his body and blood. That's pretty powerful and pretty magnificent. So we needed some place where we could have both. And <laughs> that left us with Greek Orthodoxy and uh, Lutheranism, and we're not Greek. So we had a friend at that time, some dear friends, who were also in an interfaith marriage. She was raised Anglican, and, and he was raised Methodist. And they had become Lutheran. When we knew them, they were attending uh, an LCMS church. So she gave, this friend of mine gave Mark and I a copy of Luther's Large Catechism. And I had never read such a great exposition and explanation of the Christian faith. And I think it was particularly, I think it actually struck me more than Mark, because I'm a person of Roman Catholic background, but I also have, I'm also culturally extremely German. So <laughs> I recognized that Luther was one of those irascible, stubborn Germans that I grew up with. I mean, he sounds like a relative. But I could also see his deep insight into God's Word and his deep faith. And what he had faith in is a rock. It is so consistent. And as somebody who loves studying and who loves understanding, I saw in Luther and in his large catechism a deep understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And that is a person who, so Luther grew up Roman Catholic as well, and there are some assumptions that are very deep, like the, the presence of God in the sacrament, that is just foundational. 
so we thought that we would see whether or not we could live out our worship life within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and we have not been disappointed. In fact, we've been really privileged to be catechized as adults by Pastor Rick Stuckwich, who was our pastor for, oh my goodness, 15 years, I think. So as he's, uh, as he's catechizing my children, I'm sitting in the back, you know, listening and taking it all in. <laughs> I would say that was really probably the first time that we had been truly accurately catechized in our Christian walk. So I'm very grateful for the the wonderful teaching that we've received in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, the, the solid teaching that is consistent with faithful confessional Lutheran pastors. And I'm hoping to uh, continue in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. So I found my home. Donna Harrison is our guest. We're talking about her journey from Roman Catholicism and Eastern mysticism to Lutheranism. When we come back, her first time attending a liturgical worship service. In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc., Find out the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation. Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc. and you. Equipping the priesthood of all believers... You're listening to Issues Etc. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry lcms.org slash deaconess. Is there a difference between what different Christian denominations teach? Or is Lutheran, for example, just the flavor of Christianity that you prefer to put in your religious ice cream cone? Is there more to what we believe, teach, and confess? Well, the October issue of The Lutheran Witness took up this very question. What is the difference between Lutheranism and other Christian denominations? To pick up your copy, visit cph.org slash witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club is a small group of faithful listeners who pledge to support this worldwide outreach monthly or annually. Membership benefits include books, shirts, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for your confessional Lutheran church Learn how to become an Issues Etc. Confessor, Apologist, Reformer, or Patron 
on the support donate page at issuesetc.org and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 theses or give us a call, 618-223-8385, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. It's our series, Paths to Lutheranism. We're talking about the path from Roman Catholicism and Eastern mysticism that Dr. Donna Harrison has taken. Dr. Harrison, what can you tell us about the first time you attended a liturgical Lutheran worship service? Well, we actually, before we even had encountered this friend who gave us the large catechism, on vacation, we had ended up going several times to several different Lutheran churches. It just kind of happened. And I was so struck by the sung liturgy. So as a Roman Catholic, I had the liturgy, but we didn't sing it. It was all said, and it was, it was kind of, unfortunately, contend in some parishes to be a little deadpan. But boy, when you sing the liturgy, it just it goes right down into your soul. And uh, I was so impressed by that. I thought, wow, I wish I had a church like that. And I didn't even realize it was Lutheran until we went back later and found out, oh my goodness, we'd been attending Lutheran church on vacation, and we didn't even realize it until much later. We often hear stories about a married couple where one comes from a Roman Catholic background and one comes from an American evangelical background. They find that Lutheranism is the best of those two confessions contained in one. What do you think? Well, that's an interesting question, because what I found as a weakness that is common to some evangelical churches and some Roman Catholic churches is a huge tendency for, I guess the technical term is Arminianism. So I think that becoming a Lutheran is very different than both. And I would say what drew us to the Lutheran Church, again, would be hopefully what would draw any couple, and that is a deep desire to hear God's Word rightly preached, and a deep desire and appreciation for this beautiful liturgy that we've been given that ties us to the body of Christ, that ties us to worshipers who worshiped from Abraham on, because there's aspects in the liturgy that that are very ancient, concepts that are very ancient, and the liturgy ties us to that in a very deep way. So I would say, regardless of your background, I would encourage somebody to consider deeply looking at the Lutheran Church and the the way we worship and and join us. You are the CEO of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. What did you find in Lutheranism that affirmed and strengthened your pro-life convictions? There's a couple of things. One is the idea that God took humanity up into himself. And so Christ's incarnation was very specifically not from quickening. (laughs) It wasn't from birth. Christ's incarnation was from fertilization. So at the moment of fertilization, Christ took on humankind. He took on humanity to himself. And that was a beautiful concept and definitely counters any concepts of ensoulment or things that came from the scholastics, which are just almost nonsensical. And so that idea of Christ taking human form from fertilization is just so poetically appropriate and biologically consistent. I I just loved it. And then the second concept that was super helpful to me was this idea of our neighbor. So who is our neighbor? And our neighbor my closest neighbors are my children, the the little neighbors that God made out of my body and <laughs> my husband's body and put them together as one unique human being. 
So from that time, they're my neighbor that I'm called to love and serve. And and so it, it helps to understand that concept of neighbor when you look at and when I look at and try to counter some of the arguments. The world in general looks at pregnancy as a disease. It's suffering. And if you're your own God, the worst thing you can ever do is suffer. And and it's nonsensical to think that you would suffer on behalf of someone else. But the idea that this little person is my neighbor means that I am called to suffer for that person and that suffering is a good thing. The worst thing in the world is not to suffer. The worst thing in the world is to turn your back on this relationship that God's given you with himself. So if part of that relationship that I have with God is to endure suffering on behalf of the little neighbors that he's given me, well, good. It's a good, right, and salutary thing. And so that it's helpful when, when people have such a negative view of pregnancy, especially, and unfortunately, sometimes Lutherans can have a really negative view of pregnancy, and to say, hey, look, this is my neighbor, and it's a beautiful thing for me to endure on behalf of my neighbor and on behalf of his or her life. So that was also very helpful for me. Dr. Donna Harrison is a member of Emmaus Lutheran Church in South Bend, Indiana. She's a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist and CEO of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Dr. Harrison, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me on. Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part today by Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas. Faith Lutheran School provides live, interactive online classes for high school students worldwide, They also offer on-campus learning for students pre-K through high school. Learn more at flsplano.org, Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. Issues Etc. Reformation Week continues tomorrow. We'll talk with Molly Lackey about her path from non-denominationalism to confessional Lutheranism. Molly is the author of our Book of the Month for October, Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran. And it's This Week in Pop Christianity with Pastor Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. The Word of God, Daily Worship, Lutheran Hymnody and Catechesis, Instruction in Phonics, Traditional Math, Literature, Grammar, History, Latin and Strings. It's all part of our daily life here at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. St. Paul is seeking teaching candidates for the 2023-24 school year. Learn more at school at stpaulhamel.org. Consider joining the faithful faculty at the only classical Lutheran school in Greater St. Louis. School at stpaulhamill.org.